So we're going through a new, we're starting a new series today, The Land Between. Um, I was going through, it's funny, I, I went into a rabbit hole last night in preparation. I was going through and, and um, Pastor Gus actually did a series a, 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 few, a bunch of years ago in this. And it's good to review, right? Because as I'm going to share a number of times today in this series, this is most of the Christian experience. Most of the Christian experience is learning to live in the in-between. In the in-between. How do we learn to understand the lessons in the struggle? Because what we want is deliverance from our struggles. What we always want is deliverance. I want full and final victory. The problem is in most of the areas in our life, we are not going to see that this side of eternity. That might be bad news for some of us, right? Because some of us are in some deep struggles, right? Some of us are experiencing homelessness, serious health concerns, serious financial constraints, and we want deliverance. What does God say in the midst of the waiting? How does God teach us? And so to help us understand, as a leader, as a pastor, I'm not immune to this struggle. What I wanted to do, actually, I'm really grateful to be part of a team of, of leaders that can, we can really help each other. So I had, and I'm going to say it just like this, I had a hokey example that I was going to use to kind of lead us through how to understand this. And Pastor Edwin Wisey said, don't use that. <laughs> don't use that. Let the people hear your struggle so you can help them understand that we are in this together. Okay. But I also want to give us hope. Right? So what I want to do in the midst of this is understand that there can be victory. Right? There can be victory. And so just to give you the example, um, I was born in Canada. So that for some of you that you know this, you, um, and this comes out in the way I speak and the way I say things and the different things that I like and appreciate. Right? So, um, like, yeah, I, I won't get sidetracked by that. I could go on and on. So I was born in Canada, but I really feel like I was made for Brooklyn. Okay. Now, some of y'all are Bronx. <laughs> so, some of y'all are Bronx folks. Some of y'all are Manhattanites. So, Staten Island. It's all. It's all good. It's all good. We're, you're welcome here. But this is Recovery House of Worship Brooklyn. I'm just going to say that, right? I feel like I was made for Brooklyn, right? I also feel like I, very early in my Christian experience, I've been a Christian for t more than 20 years, right? I've been a pastor for more than 15 years. I feel like I was made for Recovery House of Worship. But telling you those things came by being forged in fire. Forged in fire. See, I came to New York to help replant and, and help uh, revitalize a church that had been started four years before. I moved here in 2008. Came here, small, struggling church. The pastor who had started the church had had significant health concerns of his own, had watched his dad and his brother die of heart attacks in about an 18-month stretch. The church had been struggling. There was a revolving door of folks that were coming in to serve and bless the church as he was closing up estates and going back home to care for his family in the midst of all that. So I come back to a very fragile church. I come into a very fragile church. I had been commissioned and equipped and prepared to go into the space. I had no idea what to expect. No idea what to expect. I led in ways that were not good. I, let, I was over my head. I was beyond my depth in many, many moments. Of, I led 
ineffectively. I led poor, poorly. I led sinfully. But in the midst of that six and a half years that I did that work, it came to a point where this just wasn't working. And in 2013, my wife and I decided we closed that church. And I can remember there was about a six-month stretch in my life. My daughter, this was in 2013, so seven, a little more than seven years ago. I can remember days sitting at the dinner table where I was just crying uncontrollably in front of my kids. I didn't know what was going to happen in the future. I, I had a vision and a dream, right? I was, felt called, overwhelmed. I remember my wife and I were driving. We were in uh, Maryland, and God just impressed us. We are supposed to go to Brooklyn, to give our lives, to be there, to raise our kids, to get a plot at, in the cemetery and prepare. We're going to die here. And then ministry hit me like a punch in the face. And I was sitting at my dinner table. My kids watched me cry uncontrollably on dinners more than I can count. My, my salary came for the three months after we closed the church by selling off all the church's gear, right? So I didn't know I was going to make... My wife was not working at the time, <clears throat> so her income was solely on me. And so we were selling sound equipment and chairs and bouncy castles that the previous pastor had bought for block parties and just like all these things, trash grabbers that we use for outreach things. Like whatever I could find, I was putting on Craigslist. There was a list and I was like, every day I'd get up like, please, God, you've got to sell something else. That was not what I signed up for. That was not what I signed up for. There were days where I was like, did, did I make the wrong choice? Should I pack up and leave? Was, is this, did I miss something? Did I miss a memo from God? Was there something that I, I just didn't understand or see? What, did, I, did I blow through some warning signal from God, like I should have given up earlier or packed up or left? or What was I missing? God, what are you doing in the midst of this? But I tell you again, I was born in Canada, but I feel like I'm made for Brooklyn. And I, and I believe that this is the place that I'm, I was meant for. But that came by being forged in fire. By getting up day after day after day for months and wondering, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't even know where I'm supposed to be. I don't know what kind of ministry. God, I feel like you've laid a vision on my heart for the kind of ministry that I'm supposed to do. And I don't know where that is. I don't know what this is going to look like. See, I stepped out thinking that there was a journey that I had, I had expected. <laughs> and then the bottom fell out. My legs got kicked out. And some of us are in that space today. We have set out on a journey. We have made the step. I have a vision, a dream, a goal, something that I'm trying to accomplish. So I set out. I set out on this plan. I, I believe that I'm supposed to take this step. I believe I'm supposed to make this change. I believe that I'm supposed to move in this direction. And then the legs get cut out. And you're like, what, what is going on? But here's the thing. Many of us miss the lessons in those moments because we forget the purpose of the journey. The land in between is, like I said, most of life, and these are where we learn some of the most formative lessons in life. 
Not the victories, not the finish line, the race. And if you've run any distance, if you've been in any situation like that, you know the race is not fun. The race is not fun. But it's where we learn the lessons. It's where we learn the lessons. The in-between, leaving the struggle, starting the goal, the end game in mind, but we often think of the in-between time as a lost cause, as a waste. I just can't wait to get to heaven, right? I, I know that's the final goal, but this time seems like it's a waste of time. I don't know what's supposed to be happening or what God's supposed to be doing in the midst of this. This is what we want to learn together. And so we have opportunity to dig into just a profoundly powerful text. And what we do together is we stand. So if you want to follow along, we're going through Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11, 1 to 17. So I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And again, just as, an, as a reminder, if you're studying the Bible, it's really good to have various translations because the Greek and the Hebrew are both very poetic language. It's tough to nail down sometimes the way in which it's being described. And so it's good to have different translations to help us understand the nuance and the beauty of what's happening, specifically in the Old Testament. Because Hebrew, one word can mean 15 different things, depending on what's happening. So I'm going to read this text. You can follow along in your Bible. This is Numbers 11, verses 1 to 17. Let me read it to us as we stand. Because we receive, if nothing else, God is speaking from his word. This is the word of God for his people today. Soon the people began to complain about their hardship, and the Lord heard everything they said. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them, and he sent a fire to rage among them, and he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people screamed to Moses for help, and when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. After that, the area was known as Tabara, which means the place of burning, because fire from the Lord had burned among them there. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. The manna looked like small coriander seeds. And it was pale and yellow like gum resin. The people would go out and gather it from the ground. They made flour by grinding it with hand mills or pounding it in mortars. Then they boiled it in a pot and made it into flat cakes. These cakes tasted like pastries baked with olive oil. The manna came down on the camp with the dew during the night. Moses heard the family standing in the doorway of their tents whining, and the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated. And Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into this world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me and saying, give us meat to eat. 
I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. I will come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you and will put it on spirit upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you, so you will not have to carry it alone. This is God's word to us. You may be seated. So what do we do? What do we do in the land between? When we sign up, when we step out, when we start a journey and then the legs get cut out, we get punched in the face, we hit a wall, what do we do in those moments? Well, we have to recognize that we miss the in-between lessons when we get caught in the nonsense. We miss the in-between lessons because we get caught in the nonsense. And what I mean by nonsense is not just stupidity. Walter Brueggemann, one of my favorite Old Testament, New Testament scholars, talks about this idea of nonsense means literally that our senses have been diverted. We've, we've lost our senses. Our, all our five senses have been diverted away from God. And so this doesn't just mean silliness or foolishness. It literally means we're not seeing, hearing, tasting, feeling correctly. There's a sense we've lost our sense of who God is, and it's not informing how we see the world, hear the world, feel the world around us. We miss the lessons because we get caught in the nonsense. We lose our sense of who God is and who we are. And so the first thing we have to recognize about getting caught in this nonsense, in this understanding of how do we learn the lessons in this in-between moment is this. First thing is we talk about what's wrong. How do we get caught in the nonsense? We, ca- we find ourselves continually talking about what's wrong. To be a New Yorker, right, this almost is like a rite of passage, is to be a complainer, right? right? We're, there's something that's always wrong. The subway's not here on time. The, the, the lines are too long. My bagel was too cold. They don't have, you know, real bacon at the deli, right? It's all those things, right? We go into space, like, I'm going to make the extra stuff. I want to go into beef bacon, turkey bacon. That's not real bacon, right? So whatever it is, right, it's like a rite of passage, or we think that somehow being a New Yorker means that we just have to crack down on things. Like, we have to throw shade, like, that's not real. That's not the real thing. That's not a good thing. Like, I have to constantly find out what's broken and what's wrong. But this was a problem for the Israelites, as it is a problem for us. But again, recognize to understand the context of what's happening, Numbers 11 comes after God has powerfully delivered his people from slavery. They had called out for a deliverer to be be brought out of heavy burdens of slavery that had been put on them by the Egyptians. They had been living as slaves, building the nation of Egypt on their backs with little to no support from the structures of government in that nation. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? (laughs) They had been oppressed, mistreated, and they were calling out for deliverance. And God hears their cry and raises up Moses and delivers them powerfully. Right? They step out of Egypt and go towards the promised land. But as soon as they set out, 
the problems begin. Right? They wander. They wander. They divert. God powerfully leads them into spaces of victory. God powerfully provides for them in the desert. He leads them with, with a cloud in the, in, the, in the day to guard them from the heat of sun. He provides them with you know, sparks in the night to remind them that he's caring for them and leading them to, to guide them through all these things. And yet they continue to say, like, is this it? Like, is this what we really signed up for? Right? Is this what I wanted? And maybe we can relate again. Right? We, we realize, I need change. I need deliverance. I, I've come to the end of myself. I say, I realize I have an addiction. And that needs to change. I'm admitting that there's, there's something in my life that is actually hurting me. That needs to go. I'm owning this right now. I'm accepting that I have a problem right now. And I'm going to step out. And I'm going to trust God on a new journey towards recovery. Maybe we've come to a place where we're in a relationship or we have friendships with people and we've come to believe that those are toxic relationships. These people that we thought were for us are actually dragging us down and taking us away from what we know to be true about who we are in our relationship with God. We realize that these people that we thought were our friends were actually hurting us and harming us. Maybe we're in a dating relationship. We realize we're not on the same page about God. And instead of me being an influence in that space, I'm being influenced and being pulled away. And I realize I'm going to have to step off and step away from this relationship. I'm taking this step. Maybe we're in a job where we realize it's causing us to compromise, causing us to do things, to, 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 to take more of our margin of our life than we know to be good for us. It's, it's causing us to make compromises with our family or our priorities. And we realize, I need to step away from this job and make some serious choices that's going to lead me into what I know to be true about my foundations in life. We make that step. And then, if it's addiction, well, now I have to deal with my sober self. Now I have to deal with my sober self. I wasn't signing up for that. I managed chaos over here, right? I thought I could look after my life on this side, right? I knew what was going on. I knew what to expect. My sober self, man, I didn't sign up for this part. Having to deal with myself, to see myself, to understand myself, to look at myself in the face and see the harm and the destruction and the pain that I've caused myself and others. I didn't sign up for that. I signed up for deliverance. Maybe we step off from friends and say, man, I, I, I didn't want to be with these people because I realized, but now I'm alone. At least then I had friends. They might not have been giving me the word I needed, but they were with me at least. They were standing with me. I didn't sign up to be alone. Maybe you've taken a job, but now it's paying you less. Maybe you have a boss that doesn't respect you. Maybe you have coworkers who are actively trying to hurt you or undermine you. I signed up for housing, and I step into the situation, and the shelter that I'm in is, is not a good space. Right? I needed shelter. I can't be on the streets anymore, so I sign up. I go to Bellevue, I sign up for the list, and then I get put in a hotel, and it's, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I signed up for. This is where the people were. 
It's hard, at least on the front end, to say, I, we can understand because they had wanted deliverance. They had been under slavery, right? We, we want deliverance. We want better. We want change. But then God puts us in another space where we experience more trouble, just different trouble. And so we find ourselves in spaces of complaining. This isn't what I signed up for. I signed up for victory. I didn't sign up for trouble. I signed up for deliverance. I didn't sign up for struggle. But it's a matter of understanding. What we expect and what God is providing are often different. Often different. Moses was angry. He was aggravated because he had expected that he was going to lead a people that would be grateful. Right? You're no longer slaves. You're free. That freedom's going to be costly. That freedom's going to lead us somewhere that's going to initially be painful, but you're going to be grateful. And then they get out of Egypt and are like, man, this is not what I signed up for. Moses, you're the problem. You did this. You did this to us. The complaining is losing sight of what God has done. What he's promised, what he's already accomplished. I'm focusing on what I don't have. I'm forgetting what God has already done. I'm thinking that it should be this way, but really what I'm saying is, God, you're not good. You see, this is the second part of it, is we can understand to a point that they, there's, we see some of the reasons, some of the water they're drinking that leads them to complaining. But here's the reality. God takes complaining very seriously. Look at the scriptures in the Old Testament. Literally, a number of times in the Old Testament, people complain against Moses, complain against the leaders, complain against God, and God causes an earthquake to swallow people. So lest we think complaining is just like the, the rite of passage as a human, let's go back to the scriptures and consider how seriously God takes complaining. Because really what God is trying to help us understand in that moment is complaining is saying God is not good. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's not here. He's not faithful. He's not kind. He's not generous. I know better. If I was God... This is not what I would be doing right now. If I was God, this is what we're saying when we're complaining. Even when it's when our internet goes out, or when our cell phone doesn't work, or when the train doesn't show up, or when there is only beef bacon at the deli. If I was God, if I was God, but we, but we all think in those moments, but here's what we're really saying. God, you're not good. God, you're not good. God, you're not good. He has powerfully and miraculously delivered the Israelites, protected them and fought their battles in the desert. They get out and the trouble hits and they're like, God, you're not good. God, you're not good. Could you, I mean, again, if you have kids, right? If you have kids or you've been with kids, right? I do all these things, but I don't get the dinner I want this day. It's like all the good things go out the window. It's like we went to Chick-fil-A and I got you some closer back to school, but because we didn't get Chick-fil-A today, even though you had it last week, it's like I'm no longer a good parent. That hurts. That hurts. And that gives us a sympathetic understanding of who God is. God's like, I did all these things. 
All these things. And because it's not, you're not getting the meal you want right now, forget everything you did before. You see, as we sometimes think that we know better than God. Complaining is thinking we know better than God. And my, my mom told me that years ago. And man, I, I remember just like, I, I complain about the dumbest things. But if it's, like I said, if it's a computer not working or, you know, something not happening fast enough or whatever it is, I'm just literally saying, I know better than God right now. Because God knows when the train's coming. God knows when coronavirus is going to end. God knows when you're going to get a job. God knows when the housing situation is going to work itself out. God knows when the relationship's going to work out. God knows these things, but you say, I know better, God. <laughs> I know better. <laughs> God's like, <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> because this is why we got ourselves in this mess. Because you think you know better. I think I know better. And so complaining is saying God is not good. And so what we need to do, if we think about the application in this, is we need to stop talking and start listening to God. Uh, for years, I love, um, I love rap music. And um, for me, it's samples. So I, I, when I hear a, song, a rap song on the radio, I'm, I'm thinking about where's that sample from? And then I'll hear the song on the radio and like an R&B station. And I'll be like, oh, man, I know where the five songs where that's sampled. I thought for years and years the James Brown song was talking a lot ain't saying nothing. But what he's actually saying is talking loud and saying nothing. That's what he says. But I always th thought he was saying talking a lot ain't saying nothing, right? <laughs> so I'm going with that because that's what we do when we complain. We're talking a lot, but we're not saying anything. And so if we want to have our senses renewed, close the mouth. Open the ears. Listen to God. What has he done? What is he saying? Now, remember this. In the text, sometimes God's going to have to light fires in our life to get us back on track. So we complain, we call out, we think we know better, and then we know fire breaks out. Now, the beauty of this is that the fire breaks out on the outskirts of the society to draw them back into relationship with one another and back into relationship with God. And so sometimes God's got a flight of fire around us to draw us back together and into relationship with God. But complaining is saying God is not good. And we miss the lessons because all we're doing is talking about what he's not doing and forgetting what he has done. Talking about what he's not doing and forgetting what he has done. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. Because God is doing so much in in spite of us. He gives, the, he gives the manna in the midst of their complaining. So what do I find myself complaining about? Where do I think I know better than God? That's, that's a soul-searching question we need to ask ourselves. Where, where do I think I, need, I know better than God? I need to stop talking and start listening. See, we fall for the nonsense where we, we find ourselves talking and not listening. But secondly, not only that, the two lessons in the midst of this complaining attitude is, first, we talk a lot and forget what God has done. The second is we revise history. We revise history. If you have your Bible again, verse 5, 
This is one of the most crazy things that the Israelites can say, right? We're going to talk about how this works itself out in, in, in this series. But it says, we remember, in verse 5, we remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. For free, really, for free. You were a slave. You were not getting paid. You were living subhuman existence, and you somehow think that that fish was free? Your kids were slaves. Your wives were sold off as concubines in Egypt. You think that that fish came for free? Really? But before we crack on the Israelites, right, to think, man, what you talking about? We do the same thing. And how we do the same thing, I love Pastor Edwin and Pastor Gus talk about this. We need to learn to play the whole tape. The whole tape. Because here's what happens. We revise history, right? We revise the past to make it fit the way we want to in the present, right? And what we do is, man, my addiction wasn't really so bad. It wasn't really that big a problem. It wasn't really that bad, right? I, I, can, I got this under wraps. I, I can control this, right? I, I, I can do this, right? I don't need these 12 steps. I don't need, these, uh, I don't need this recovery program. I, I got this. I, it wasn't so bad. We think about those relationships again. It, I mean, the, the person wasn't so bad. They, they helped me in these ways, right? They loved me for who I was. They just wanted to be with me. The job wasn't so bad. It paid real well, right? I mean, I could tithe more if I have that job. We revise the past to make it fit with what we want. We revise the past to make it fit what we want. See, revising the past, what it does is it really reveals what we trust. Because when trouble comes, we want to go back to what we trust. When trouble comes, you want to go back to what we trust. And what he trusted was myself, my addiction, my relationships, my job, my money, my comfort. What I want is those things because I know I can manage those things. I can't manage God. I can't manage God. And that's the biggest problem we face in this in-between season is God is saying, you can go back to what you think you can manage and it's be real. It's chaos. It's, you might think it's managed chaos, but it is chaos. What I'm saying is you can't manage me, but what you get is peace. We revise the past because what we're saying is what I really trust is me being able to be in control. Sure, I was a slave, but at least I was getting a meal. We got three square meals, right? Sure, I was a slave, but man, I, it felt good to know that I was going to get food every day. What they're really saying in that moment is their God is their belly. Their appetite is what's most important. And Jesus picks up on this later and he says, what God is offering is a bread that will leave you never hungry. Never hungry. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be steak dinners every day. But what it does mean is you're going to be in a relationship with God who sees you, knows you, cares for you, and is always on time. Always on time. You see, this idea of revising the past is about us forgetting that what we want is quick fixes. 
quick fixes. And God has got the long game in mind. God's got the long game. And this is so tempting for us because we go back to all these things that we think were working, right? All the ways in which we were working and say, hey, when I faced a conflict, yelling works. It shuts that person down. Yelling works in that moment, right? In, in the midst of the injustices we're seeing, I was thinking about this, like, and again, this is not to minimize the struggles that we're experiencing. We are experiencing incredible injustices in our city, in our country, in our world, right? But I'm watching black organizations arm themselves for resistance. And I'm saying, this is a problem. This is a problem because, I mean, I, I am wholeheartedly in the camp with Martin Luther King Jr. Only love can overcome hate, right? Hate is what got us here. Hate is what got us here. This is not to say that injustice is okay. I'm just saying that if we are going to follow the world's methods to bring about change, we are leading to more trouble. And Jesus is telling us, I revised the past. Well, it's like, I'm going to get even. And they go back to what's comfortable, right? We go back to what's easy. It's easy to crack back. It's easy to crack back. It's easy to throw shade. It's way harder to extend grace and speak truth. Way harder. It's way harder. And you get caught up in the mob, right? The mob. The mob will tell you, get even, get yours, get right. It's all those things, right? And I'm not saying, this is not to say injustice is okay. It's just to say the methods that God wants to bring about are not the methods of the world. They're just not. They're not. Yeah. And I'm going to go there. Yes. I'm going to go there. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. And this is the big point, right? Thank you for that. Because this is the transition, right? We revise, we revise our history to make what we want in the present. And what God is saying is, I'm about the future. I'm about the future. And here's the other part of this trouble. We expect that everything is going to work out here and now. We expect everything is going to work out here and now. That is not the promise. The promise is not that everything works out here. That's not the promise. Years ago, I think Pastor Edwin did a sermon series uh, about the things that God never said. Right? The, God never said, I'm, gonna never, I'm never going to give you more than you can handle. He never said that. He's, Jesus, in fact, said, in this world you experience trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so the reminder is, the two things to close is this, to be reminded of this. What the land in between is about is refining and reorienting. Refining and reorienting. Re refining how I see myself, how I hear God, what I sense to be God's work and his methods and his priorities in this, plan, in, his, in this life, how I feel about the struggle, what I'm experiencing, to refine who I am and who God is. In the in-between, God is about refining. And here's the thing again, Romans 5, a text that you can look up later. But it says that we rejoice in our troubles. Why? Because troubles produce something that only trouble can produce. Perseverance, hope, character. And when we assume in life that it's going to be A to B instead of A to Z, we miss character development. 
I assume that it's I step out, freedom. And God's like, there's 50 more steps that have to take place for you to see that deliverance. You have to trust me through every one of those steps. And as we know the scriptures, again, sometimes he's only giving you one or two steps at a time and you have to continue to trust him through the pain and the struggle because he's trying to do something in me. In me. Why is the crackback so difficult for us in this moment of injustice? Because again, what we have to remember is we're not experiencing liberation in this country because we're not doing the hard work of seeing what God's trying to do in us. Why are we experiencing difficulty in this political system? Because we're not recognizing that the government that we have right now is a reflection of the people that we are. God is trying to do a work in showing us that our hearts need to change. And then we can offer hope to the world. But if I don't believe that God's trying to do a work in me in the trouble, I have to start again. I have to start the journey again. Refining who am I? Who is God? And what is he about? But secondly, reorienting. See, for the, for the Israelites, the hope was the promised land, right? The promised land. They were going to step into a space where they'd have... Their, their own space, they could worship together, they could be together, they could grow crops, they could build families, they could not have oppressive government, although they would jump right back into that as their own people. They didn't need Egypt to do that. They'd jump right back in and start oppressing each other. But here's the reality. They were hoping in a promised land, right? For the Christian, knowing the, the revelation that God has introduced to us through the New Testament, our hope is heaven. The promised land is then, is then. So if I assume everything is going to work out here and now, I'm going to constantly face struggles and temptations because I'm not everything is going to work out the way I want, how I want, when I want here. That's not the promise. The promise is eternity. I, I, I went on a bit of a rabbit hole last night. I was thinking, should there be a song that we could close and listen to? And I didn't know how long I'd preach, but there's, a, there's an incredible song from a band I like called Loud Harp. And... It's just the simple refrain, Emmanuel. And every time I hear the refrain at the end of the song, it says, there'll be no worries. It's talking about heaven. And it says, we'll see his face. One day, we are going to see Jesus. See him. The one we crucified. We are going to see his face. That's my hope. I'm going to see him. I'm going to struggle until then. He's going to work on me and in me and through me until then. That's my hope. You know what I want to do? I want to walk forward knowing I'm going to see his face. I'm going to see his face. Where is my hope? Where is my treasure? Where is my peace? Where is my joy? My strength is found in him. And knowing one day I'm going to see him. Lastly, the question to guide us through this series, as I said, it's about refining and reorienting, is this. We have to stop asking in moments of trouble, in the in-between, we have to stop asking, why is this happening to me? And we have to start asking, what is this teaching me? In, in the series, we're going to come back to this again and again, 
in the trouble, in the in-between, we have to stop asking, why is this happening? Because I might not get that answer. Some people are like, well, I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven. How are you going to get that piece of paper with you to ask the question? Are you going to remember? Like, we might not ever get the answer. What is this teaching me? What is this teaching me? Where my trust is, who am I, who is God? What has he done? What is he saying? We have to learn to see in, the, in between God is teaching us things. And we have to stop complaining about what we're not seeing and start looking for what he is doing. And so I want us to do is close and I want us to be still for another, another minute, okay? What I want us to do, again, is remember, every time we gather together, I want us to come with paper, pen, something to write down on, our book, our, our, our phone. Again, because I want us to know, if we just say, like, I got prayed up, and I heard some inspiring words, and I went out, and none of this does anything, because I don't have anything to remember or think, something to think about, I want us to learn, what is God saying to me? What is God saying to me? What needs to change? What steps do I need to take? I said last night in the call, some of us don't want to make the first step, Right? We want to stay in the chaos because we don't know what that first step towards liberation and freedom is going to look like because it's unknown. Some of us need to make the first step of admitting we need Jesus, of admitting we have a problem, of admitting that, you know, we don't have it all together. So I want us to take a minute. Just close our eyes. Focus again. Take a minute. What is God saying to us today? What is he inviting us to change or consider? If you need to write it down, open your eyes. You can write it down. But just let's take a minute now to just be still and consider what is God saying to us?